with you and equip us. We, uh, we love this church. And um, I think we've known Pastor Bruce for more than 30 years. I hear a little birdie say it's your birthday today, Bruce. He's uh, 69 years old today. 69. <laughs> Even though I've known you 30 years, I'm not that old. But, uh, but you're looking 10 years younger, so something good's happening. And you can pay me the $20 later for saying that. It's great. We love this church, and um, our son Adam attends. And uh, I know it's been an absolutely transforming uh, thing in his life, being part of this church. So it's a thrill for us to be here. This is my beautiful wife, Greta. She's just got a, a brief prophetic word that she wants to share. Uh, Greta's uh, very prophetically gifted, so it's just a short word she wants to share with you as a church. So I pray you'll be encouraged and blessed. Good morning, equippers. And Bruce, I feel for you and Helen, the Lord has so much more in store for you in these years to come. Huge increase of anointing and much, much more to come. Who of you have heard of Charles Dickens? Can I see any hands? Oh, I'm impressed. <laughs> he's a, he's an, a, quite an old author, but he wrote uh, many classics, and one of them is called Great Expectations. And at the beginning of this year, this title kept coming to mind. And then I felt the Holy Spirit say that the Lord wants us to have great expectations that he will accomplish his great purposes for us, for our nation of New Zealand, and for the nations of the world. He has incredible purposes for our nation, which I don't have time to unpack. One of the many things the Lord is currently saying at the moment is open window, open door. The open window. Right now, in this moment in history, the Lord is opening a great window of opportunity. I sense it's a limited time, but a momentous period of time. And this window is for an unprecedented harvest of salvation of the nations. And right now, the Spirit of the Lord is stirring awakening in the nations around the world. It's already happening and it's increasing. This is a new era of salvation and evangelism. And there's a sense of urgency. We must seize this opportunity with both hands and make the most of it. It's a time of profound mercy and grace. It's God's gift. And for some nations, I can't say all, but including New Zealand, I sense that it, 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 it's, God intends it to be a time of peace and prospering because in such an environment, salvation, transformation, and reformation can spring up. Now, the open door, as God opens this great window of opportunity, he's also opening a great door for effective work. 2017 is the year of the open doors. And we know in prophetic terms that that season will continue. God is going to open new doors for equippers around the world. And God will open new doors for many of you, for many of his people everywhere. And he will anoint you to go through those new doors. And these two scriptures, the Holy Spirit especially underlined, 1 Corinthians 16, 9, a great door for effective workers open to me. And, there's an and, there are many who oppose me. But, Revelation 3, 8, Jesus says this, see, I have set before you an open door that no one can shut. 
So when you face enemy opposition, as you go through the open doors, here is a key to victory. We must keep fighting together in prayer. And our God Almighty will fight for us. That is his promise. You need to know that your prayers are the power to shape the future destiny of New Zealand and the nations of the world. And I really mean that. We have seen so much evidence of it already. And for equippers, the Lord is fashioning you at a whole new level to become a powerhouse of prayer for the nations. It is time to rise up and take this nation back from the enemy. It is time to bring kingdom influence into every sphere of society. The Lord intends us to advance into enemy-held territory, and He will turn the tide in our favor. The tide is turning. As God's people are returning to prayer, God is turning the tide. And the, I sense there is a king tide coming that will flood New Zealand. And God wants us positioned and ready for this move of the Spirit. So when God opens new doors for you, be bold and very courageous because He is with you. And it reminds us that in 2017, victory is God's will for you. Do not believe the lies of the enemy. Victory is God's will for you. The number 17 in the Bible symbolizes overcoming the enemy and complete victory. And Today, one of the things I feel God wants to do is impart boldness and courage to go through those open doors and to impart an overcoming spirit to withstand all opposition. The Lord is calling you to do great exploits for the kingdom of God in this great window of opportunity. That is a good word. You know, every prophecy is an invitation to intercession. So when you hear something like that, what you've got to do, you've got to pick it up and mix it with faith and mix it with prayer. We're looking forward to uh, tomorrow night and Tuesday. They're going to be uh, like tomorrow night. We want to talk about who the Holy Spirit is and what He does. And we want to end up praying for people to have encounters with the Holy Spirit. You know, when you have an encounter with God, it can be very life-transforming. And so that's what tomorrow night's going to be, a powerful encounter night. Then Tuesday night, we want to uh, talk about the prophetic, how you hear from God, how you can operate in prophecy. If you've never done that before, then you know, we're going to make it really simple so that you know how to, how to do that. So it'd be great to see you Monday and Tuesday. If you can get to both nights, that'll be great. Uh, we're just going to have a powerful time in God. Hey, there are some copies of our new book that will be available somewhere in the foyer, I guess. Um, we released this just um, late last year. It's called Afterlife. And uh, Greta and I lost our spouses a number of years ago. Uh, both of them are now living in heaven. And really, this is our story of how God journeyed us through the grief of losing someone really, really close to you because grief can be a very hard thing to handle. How God healed our hearts, what he did to teach us how to get through that. We didn't know each other. We talk about how he brought us together. It's quite a miracle. But the rest of the book is more about uh, what happens to the person who dies. So what happens when you die? 
Where do you go? What is heaven like? There's a whole chapter on that, including a little bit about babies. What happens to babies that die or are aborted, miscarried, kids that die young? What happens to them? So we, we write about that to want to give some hope. And then uh, we talk about the resurrection, um, that uh, you know, there's a whole chapter on your resurrection body and what you're going to look like in the resurrection. You think you look good now, wait till then. And uh, Pastor Ed's going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'm sure. Like his muscles will be bulging out. And, uh, or maybe Arnie will look like you, Ed. I mean, there's that thought as well. And uh, one of the two. Judgment Day. We're all going to face one. But Judgment Day for the believer is very different to Judgment Day for the non-believer. We talk about the difference and, and what that's going to be like. And then the, uh, the new world that's coming, uh, the new earth that God's going to create, what we'll be doing in that, what that'll be like. So there's a whole lot in that book that will really encourage you in your faith. I'd love to give that copy away. Is there someone you've lost a loved one uh, close to you? You would like it? Okay. The lady in the black there? Um, just keep your hand up. Uh, if you can pass it, that, that's great. So that's great. So um, how many would have loved to have received a free copy? Just give me a wave. We'll just go and buy one at the end. Your disappointment will lift off. It'll be fine. All right, so there you go. I was um, praying, if we can have the PowerPoint, that'll be great. I was praying at the end of uh, last year, and uh, I was praying about some personal situations and also some global circumstances that were distressing me. And as you do in prayer, you're just pouring out the problem to the Lord. But at some point, the Holy Spirit interrupted me, and I heard myself say, but, and uh, but God, you can do this, but this could happen. And as I said that word, that little three-letter word, but, something of the power of God went into my heart. The Holy Spirit etched that and, and kind of downloaded to me that that word is going to be incredibly, incredibly important to all believers in the years that we're now heading into, years of global negativity, global trials, difficulties, personal difficulties, personal circumstances. We so often use the word in a negative sense, look, I've got a good job, but my boss isn't very nice. I live in a nice house, but my street isn't so good. We often use it in a negative sense but the Holy Spirit was dropping into me. It's time we reclaimed that word for a positive thing. And we time we be, began to say, well, this might be happening, but God can do something better. John 16, 33, Jesus actually said, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. He, he said, listen, you become a believer in me, you're going to have trials and sorrows. Why? Because the devil isn't yet locked up in hell. There's still evil people that are alive in the world. Sometimes our own foolish decisions bring trials and sorrows to us. We're living in an imperfect world. When he comes back, Satan gets locked up in hell. The, the righteous and the wicked are separated, and God is going to have a world in which righteousness dwells. It will be paradise, but it isn't here yet. And Jesus was warning, until that day comes, you're going to keep having trials and sorrows. Listen, some of you might be in a good season right now. You're blessing. You're not knowing trials and sorrows. My word to you is cheer up, they're coming. <laughs> you will not be left out. So this is a word for everyone. Even if you're in a good season, you can take note of this for later. You know, even the greatest Christians experience trouble and difficulty. 
I think one of the greatest Christians that ever lived is the Apostle Paul. An amazing man, wrote half, more than half the New Testament, brought Christianity into, um, into Europe. Incredible man. And there was a time where he was in um, Asia, as the Bible used to call it, modern-day Turkey, and he was going from town to town preaching the gospel. And I think he went into about five cities. You can read about this in Acts 13 and 14. And every place he went, he was severely persecuted. People rose up against him. They ran him out of town. In one place, he was stoned and left for dead. Somehow he revived. And, uh, you know, and so it was a terrible time, but yet it was a time where churches were being planted. And later on, he writes about this experience to a church in Greece in a place called Corinth. And in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 to 11, this is what he says. We don't want you to be uninformed about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. But, there's our word again, but this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. On him we have set our hope that he will yet deliver us. And you've got to understand that he's going through trials so great, he actually says he didn't think he'd live through it. He said, we despaired of life. I don't know if you've ever faced trials and difficulties in your life that you didn't think you'd make it through. I think there's probably a bunch of people in this room who've been facing things. I don't know if I'm going to get through this, but I want to tell you, God is the God that gets you through when you don't think you can get through. He is the God on whom we set our hope. And at some point, Paul got heavenly perspective. Because while you're going through it, you're under this, it's tough, it's hard. But at some point, I don't know whether it was days later, weeks later, or months later, God gives Paul a revelation of what the Father is up to in the midst of this trial. And he begins to get heaven's perspective. When you get heaven's perspective, when you're going through something, it'll change the whole atmosphere. It'll change everything about it. The Circumstances may not change, but you'll change once you know what God is up to. And Paul got a revelation of what God was up to. He said, wait a minute, this is happening. What for? That I might not rely on myself. Because Paul was a highly capable Jew. He was trained, he was learned, he was educated in Judaism, etc. And God had to empty all of that stuff out to bring an anointing of the Holy Spirit to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified, foolishness to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And Paul said, I had to learn a lesson. And one of the greatest lessons you and I will learn in life if you're trying to build a business, build a marriage, build a relationship, raise children, exercise a ministry, exercise a vocation, the greatest secret of the Christian life is always stay in weakness because in weakness you'll be dependent on God. God. When you're dependent on God, you get His power. When you're dependent on yourself, you've just got your power. And that might carry you so far, but God is always going to take you way further than you could get there by your own strength. And there has to be times where God allows things in our lives to teach us that lesson, not to rely on ourselves, but on God. Max Licardo writes the following story about a canary named Chippy. I think we've got a picture of Chippy coming up. And it's a true story. And Max starts out by saying, Chippy never saw it coming. The problems began when his owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. The phone rang and she turned to pick it up. She'd barely said hello when Chippy got sucked in. 
The bird owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum and opened the bag. There was Chippy, still alive but stunned. Since the bird was covered with dust and soot, she grabbed him and raced to the bathroom, turned on the tap and held Chippy under the running water. Then realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hairdryer and blasted the pet with hot air. <laughs> Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. A few days after the trauma, a friend contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, she replied, but Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. It's hard not to see why, Lucado writes, sucked in, washed up and blown over, that's enough to steal the song from the stoutest heart. It's very interesting when I tell that story in churches, you can tell the people with compassion and mercy giftings because they go, oh, poor Chippy. Everyone else laughs and thinks it's really, really funny. It's like you don't have much compassion there. When you go through trials and difficulties, Satan wants to steal your song. He wants to steal your song. He wants to shut you down in your praise and worship. He wants to make you so miserable you don't have a song anymore. You don't have a, an anthem of praise anymore. How many know that heaven treats sacrificial praise at the highest degree? It's easy to sing when everything's going well, when everything's falling apart, and then you keep singing and you keep praising God. That's a whole different level. And Satan used to be in charge of worship in heaven. He was called Lucifer, the most beautiful angel ever created. And then he fell and became Satan, the adversary. He knows the power of praise. He knows the power of worship. He knows the power of song. And God, the devil wants to keep you trapped in your cage of circumstances. He wants to keep you silenced. He wants to make you uh, uh, mute, as it were. And you've got to lift up your song and say, Lord, I'm going to keep singing no matter what happens. When I was in my early 30s just a few years ago, it's like there's rude laughter whenever I say that. It's, I must look really ancient. I mustn't look as uh, young as Bruce. It's a, it's a worry. Come and lay hands on me later, Bruce. It'd be good. Um, I had a battle with cancer in my early 30s, uh, Hodgkin's disease, a lymphatic cancer. And my first wife, Jane, um, when we got married, I knew she had multiple sclerosis, which is a neurological disease. And a couple of years before I got cancer, the disease had just started to um, move in her body. And it turns out she had the worst form of MS, which is the chronic progressive or primary progressive form, just keeps getting worse and worse. And so I'm in my early 30s battling cancer this particular year. Um, and we've got three little kids, three sons, two, six, and eight, um, leading a church in Wellington and trying to pastor this church. And it's a heavy duty year. It's like Paul said, you know, we despaired of getting through it. And because of the pressures of that year, that year was the year she had to start using a wheelchair. So I'm battling cancer. My wife's in a wheelchair, three little kids pastoring at church. It was a heavy time. And, uh, and God brought me through. He delivered me. Uh, I've been well ever since, many years. But for Jane, even though I got uh, better, she got worse. And she continued to get worse until three Years or so later, four years later, uh, she no longer could look after herself, couldn't stand, couldn't use her hands, couldn't do anything. So I resigned. I was on staff in a large church here in Auckland, Auckland City Elam Church, and I resigned to be her caregiver because I wanted to give her a good quality of care. 
And for the next 16 years until she passed away, uh, I was her caregiver. And through those years, it was a very intense, intense time. And I remember asking her one day, I said, what have you learned all the years you've been in a wheelchair? And she said this to me. She said, I've learned to smile. See, MS had started to rob the use of her voice and she used to be a singer. She used to love singing and she could no longer do that. But on the inside, even though she couldn't sing on the outside, on the inside, there was still a song. And that manifested as a smile. And she'd learned to smile in the midst of trial and difficulty that many of us would, you know, if you're in a wheelchair, that's an intense thing. I don't see many. I always honor people in wheelchairs. I reckon it takes more faith to stay in one than to get out of one because, you know, until, you know, we we all want to see people have miraculous healings, but many times people endure things. It takes incredible faith to keep smiling, keep singing in the midst of all of that. She said, I've learned to smile. And, uh, and then, you know, when she passed away, and I began to look back over those, not only the 16 years of caregiving, but the 25 years of battling multiple sclerosis, praying for a miracle of healing that didn't come, and all of that kind of thing. I looked back over that time, and particularly the 16 years of caregiving, and I said, I don't know how I did that. I don't know how I managed 24-7 care. I don't know how I did it. And I said, Lord, I don't know how I got through that. And the reason I was saying that is when you go through a trial, God gives you grace for the trial so that you can get through it. When you've gotten through it, you no longer need the grace. He lifts it off and you're thinking, how did I get through that? Anyone here thinking, how did I get through that? That's, it's because God graced you. And you no longer need the grace, so it lifts. And I, and I realized, like Paul did, these things happen that I might not rely on myself, but on God who gives supernatural grace to get you through anything that you need to get through. And a whole lot of good came out of that time because two books have been written out of that adventure of those 20 years, and, and one of them is available today here. And... and uh, And I remember when God began to bring Greta and me together, I discovered about her that she'd lost her husband, Ron, a couple of months after Jane had passed away. And she said to me, one of the things I kept doing every day to get through the ordeal of grief is I kept singing to the Lord every day. Every day, he, she sang Matt Redman's song, Blessed Be Your Name. You know that song? In the good times and in the bad, I'm gonna keep praising you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I tell you this stuff, don't let the devil steal your song in the midst of trial. And understand that if you're going through it, it's that you might have a greater reliance on God. He really does raise dead things again to life. Paul later on writes this in to the Corinthians about all his troubles. 2 Corinthians 4 verses 8 and 9 says, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed and broken. We're perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. We're hunted down. There's people today in the Middle East being persecuted and hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again and keep going. There's a lot of buts there. It's a powerful word that you've got to get it in your spirit. You've got to get that word and say, God, whatever I'm going through, but you're able to do something. I'm able to get up. Right now, some of you might feel like, man, I don't know if I can keep going. Well, you can't, but in you is Christ Jesus, and He's an overcomer. You can rely on His grace. Psalm 73, 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength 
of my heart and my portion forever. Some of you watching this streaming, you need to know there's people, I, I can see you, you're, you're sitting in an audience where this is being streamed, and right now you need to know, because you feel like your heart is failing, you feel like your flesh is failing, you feel like you've got no strength to keep going, but I want to tell you today, God is the strength of your heart forever. You know, I think one of the things that we've got to do when we face difficulties, we face our future, is to look back and remember what God has done in our past. And when you see the testimony of God's faithfulness in your past, that will inspire you to have hope for the future. I love these verses from Ephesians chapter two, verses two to five, talking about how we once were in our past. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. And by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. Now, we can often read a scripture like that and think, oh, that's nice, and let it wash over us. Can I just take a few minutes to really let you feel the impact of what this is saying? About three and a half thousand years ago, there was a man called Moses that went up a mountain called Sinai, and there on the top of that mountain, he met God, and God gave him 10 commandments. And he said, Moses, if, if people obey these 10 commandments, you'll have paradise on earth. You'll have my blessing, heaven on earth. And you know what those commandments are. You know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. You shouldn't worship other gods, uh, whether they be idols or material things. Never take the na name of the Lord in vain. In other words, never use his name in a vow and not keep the vow. Don't use his name as a swear word. Have a day a week where you rest and you honor God, although for a Christian, we should be honoring God every day. Honor your parents, honor your mother and father. Doesn't matter whether they're good parents or bad parents. Honor them that you might live a long life in the earth. Don't lie, don't steal, don't kill, don't be greedy and covet, and don't commit sexual immorality. Ten commandments, Jesus shrunk them to two. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love others as you love yourself. And the tragedy is, everybody on planet Earth has broken one or more of those commandments, and everybody in this auditorium today, in this town hall, you know you've broken one or more of those commandments, and probably repeatedly. And what happens is, because God is so so holy and so pure and so righteous, if, if he, he cannot tolerate sin in his presence. And so if you die with those sins, those, the break, sin is the breaking of God's commandments, if you die with those sins still unforgiven, then God is forced, obligated by his justice, to say, I wanted you to come into heaven, but because your sin has never been forgiven, I must send you to a place separated from me where I am not. And any place where God isn't is called hell. 
Because where God isn't, there's no love. Where God isn't, there's no joy. Where God isn't, there's no peace. Where God isn't, there's no harmony. Where God isn't, there's no unity. Where God isn't, there's no relationship. It's hell and it's torment. And tragically, people will end up there if they die in their sins that have never been forgiven. You know, a lot of Christians think, well, surely hell doesn't exist. Can a good God send people to hell? Listen, God is a God of mercy, but He's a God of justice. See, I'm not, I'm not into namby-pamby preaching that hides the truth. You either preach the Word of God as it is or just don't preach it at all. You might as well preach the truth. And the truth is there's a heaven and there's a hell. He's a God of mercy that wants everybody to be saved and go to heaven, but He's a God of justice. And if we die with the sin uh, unforgiven, then He's obligated and forced, and I would think reluctantly, to send us to a place where He isn't. A.W. Tozer, a great American pastor and author, he said, the vague hope that God is too kind to punish the ungodly has become a deadly drug for the consciences of millions of people. It's like this. We were in um, England uh, for three and a half months, just come back, and we were there for the Manchester bombing. Uh, We were there for the terror attacks in London. We were there for the Tower Fire. And actually, we were ministering in a church in East London where those three uh, terrorists, they just lived a little way down um, from the church. So when we went went there on Sunday morning, the police cordons were all around the church. It's um, mainly a, a Muslim area, and these guys were radicals, and they were shot dead by the police because they killed a number of people. But imagine if they hadn't. Just, just imagine with me for a moment that they hadn't been shot dead and they, they were arrested. And then they were brought to trial. And I, I can't remember how many people killed. It was 11 or 12 or something. I, I can't remember, but it was a number of people. And imagine they go to trial and there's, you know, CCTV footage uh, showing what they did, stabbing people, running people down with their vans. And the evidence is all there and the lawyers and the police present the evidence and the jury finds them guilty. And the judge says, well, you're going to come back for sentencing in two weeks. And imagine you've got a friend that's been killed, stabbed to death. You were just out having a a drink at a pub. You were out just enjoying a celebration in the streets, and, and your friend gets stabbed to death. So you're very interested in sentencing. And, and in two weeks later, these three are brought into court, and you're there because you want justice for your friend. You're waiting to hear that they're going to get life imprisonment. And sure enough, that's what the judge says. He says, because you've been found guilty of these heinous crimes, you've robbed people of their lives, you've injured 20, 30, 40 other people, changed their lives forever, I sentenced you to life imprisonment without possibility of parole. You will spend the rest of your natural lives in prison. And you're going, yay, justice. Then imagine if the judge turns around and says, but listen, today I'm feeling in a good mood, I'll let you off. You're free to go. What would you think? You'd think that stinks. You'd think there's no justice in the world. You'd think, why is that judge just going to let them off? They need to be punished. That's what justice is. And we're offended at the thought of that. Then why do we think that God, like some Father Christmas, is just going to let people off their sin? 
because he's the God of holiness. He's the God of justice. And the soul that sins shall die. The soul that sh the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now I'm talking about the justice of God. But listen, this verse says, but God is so rich in mercy. He had another plan. Hallelujah. And his plan, the Bible says, he's not willing that any perish. He's not willing that any end up in hell. God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And when you understand that Jesus hung on a cross, what was he doing there? Taking your sin on himself, taking the punishment that was due you on himself. You were due hell, you were due punishment. He's taking hell on himself. He's taking God's anger towards sin on himself. Why? So that when you believe in Jesus Christ, your sins can be forgiven, you can be washed clean. You know what happens when you believe in Jesus? You know what God does to your sins? All the times you've broken those commandments, I've broken them. He gets, a ho he gets all your sins and he takes them off you and he puts them on Jesus on the cross. And then he takes the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ and he takes that and he puts it on you. And he declares you completely righteous in his sight. He, when he looks at you, he doesn't see any sin. Why? Because you've had faith in Jesus. You've been gifted righteousness. You've been gifted forgiveness. Your record is cleansed. Hallelujah. There is no record of your sin in heaven any longer. But you're saying, David, I'm not perfect. How can God look at me as if I'm perfect? Yeah, you are talking about your condition. I'm talking about your position. You are not acceptable to God by your condition. You're acceptable to God by your position. And your position is, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're a son, you're a daughter of God. He sees you as perfect. He sees you as righteous. Come on, that's how it is. Now when you read that scripture, can we have it up again? But God is so rich in mercy. Now you might feel the impact of that incredible mercy of God. And you know, the Holy Spirit works on our lives all throughout our life. He's trying to match your condition to your position. And finally, when you step over into heaven, your condition and position will be one and the same. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 23, when you come to heaven, you come to the spirits of redeemed people made perfect. But you need to know you're acceptable to God, not because of your condition today. Many of us in here, all of us are probably struggling with something or other. And, and you know, if God accepted us on the basis of our condition, none of us would be accepted. It's not on the basis of how you are. It's on the basis of how he is. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is righteous. And he's gifted to you his righteousness. Wow. This pastor had a vision in which he went into heaven and God was showing him all the record books of all his people. And there were millions of these things and God's got a record book on every one of us. He records all the things and you know, when you're a believer in Jesus, there's only good things that he records. He doesn't record your sin. But so, so Jesus says to him, would you like to see somebody's record? He said, yes, Lord, I'd like to see Abraham's. So the Lord pulls out Abraham's record book and this guy's flicking through it and he says, but wait a minute, Lord, there's only good things here. I know that Abraham did some 
foolish things. And if you read Genesis, Abraham did do some dumb things, and he transgressed, and he told lies, and, and he did a whole bunch of silly things. He said, Lord, there's none of those there. And Jesus said, that's right. They can't be in the same place twice. They're on my record. They therefore cannot be in Abraham's record book. See, if you believed in Jesus, your sin is on him. You're set free. Hallelujah. That's why God is rich in mercy. Doesn't matter what you've done. God is a God that can forgive your sin if you ask him. As we conclude, whatever, whatever we go through, personally, nationally, or globally, and right now we're in a very negative global environment with so much happening out there. Whatever we go through, we need to understand there's always a but. There's always a but with God. And I want to close with this story, and it's, a, again, another true story. Two men were viewing a painting called Checkmate in the Louvre in Paris. In this painting, uh, painted in the 1800s by a German artist, a man is playing chess with the devil. The devil is on the left of the picture in green. The man representing humanity, humanity, the angelic realm, is watching on. The man representing humanity looks really worried. The devil is smirking. The title of the painting indicates it's checkmate. I don't know if you've played chess, but basically when your opponent has uh, targeted or attacking your pieces, your king, and you can no longer move your king because your opponent is attacking, and if you, you move, that, then your king would be taken. That's called checkmate, and you've lost the game if your king cannot move because your opponent's covering it. And that one of these two men, one of them was a chess champion. He was, in he was in France for a chess championship. He had a bit of time to kill, so they went looking at artworks. And he was particularly interested in this, being a chess champion. And he was looking at it for a number of minutes, and the, the first guy, his friend, got a bit bored, went off to look at other paintings. And the chess champion just kept looking at the painting, and he was studying the chessboard. And after about three or four minutes... He steps back from the, chair, from the painting and says, wait a minute, the artist got it wrong. The king has one more move. And I want to tell you, church, when you think you're crushed, your king has another move. When you think you're defeated, your king has another move. When it looks impossible, your king has another move. The devil will not checkmate you. That's what we need to know in this season. Your king has another move. And that's why you can say, but God. Yeah, things might be rough at home. Things might be rough in my marriage. Things might be difficult at work. Things might be difficult with my health or with my finances. But I know a king who's got another move. And he's waiting to do something. And all you've got to do is believe in that king and have faith in that king. And in a moment, I'm, uh, I'm going to ask Greta to come back in a moment. We're going to pray into that because I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to release something. Listen, I feel like there are people here today, the devil's bullied you and the devil's wearied you. And some of you are really tired in the fight and others of you are feeling beaten up by life. And I believe that God wants you to know that's not him. That's the devil bullying you. That's the devil wearing you. And you need to know that King Jesus wants to put an overcoming spirit in you. He wants to put fight back in you. He wants to put courage back in you.
But just before we get to that point of praying into that, I want to ask you this morning, do you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? You heard me talk about his justice and his mercy. And God is not wanting anybody to perish. And that's true for everybody in this auditorium today. You know what the Bible says? It says this, as many that believe in Jesus and who receive him, he gives them power to become children of God. Wow. You don't become a child of God by being religious and keeping a lot of rules. You can't keep those Ten Commandments. The history of the world is a history of people unable to keep those commandments. That's why God had to send Jesus. As many that believe in him and who receive him, he gives you power. You don't become a child of God by being religious, by being good enough, by coming along to church. Those are things you might do. You know, we've got to live moral lives as believers, but you become a child of God by believing that Jesus Christ died on a cross, rose again from the dead. He loves you and he gave his life for you. And what you've got to do in response to that is give your life to him, ask him to forgive you and receive him into your life. And then he comes and lives in you by his Holy Spirit. He starts to change you from the inside out. And I'd like to give an opportunity to anyone here today. You've never given your life to Jesus. Or maybe even there are people here that you once have, but you no longer walk with God. And I want to talk to the churches too that are watching uh, the streaming broadcast. Anyone sitting in various auditoriums scattered through the country that are watching now, I want to say to you, if you don't know Jesus, or you once walked with him but you no longer do, then I want to include you in this prayer. And so I'm going to ask us all to close our eyes right now to help us concentrate. And if you know that you need to give your life to Jesus, or you need to come back to Jesus this morning, I'm simply going to ask you to indicate that, acknowledge that by raising your hand. I'll acknowledge it. You'll be, you can then put it down. Is there anyone here you're saying, yeah, I need Jesus in my life, or I need to come back to Him? Can you just quickly raise your hand? Just shoot it up in the air right now. You're saying, yeah, I need Jesus in my heart. I need to come back to Him. I just, just quickly raise your hand. Wave it at me if I don't see you. I'm looking down on the floor first. I'll look up in the balcony in a moment. Anyone down on the floor right now? Just you, You're saying yes to Jesus. Just quickly shoot your hand up in the air. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because often fear will stop you at this point. And uh, I, know there, I know there are people here. I believe there's at least five or more that need to say yes to Jesus. I'm just going to look up in the balcony right now. Anyone there, just quickly raise your hand. Just quickly raise your hand. Yeah, over there on my left. God bless you. Thank you. Right up the back. Is anyone else? There's the first. We're going to wait a bit. See, often... At this moment, the devil will pound your heart with fear and you'll say, well, I don't know if I want to acknowledge this. I don't know what I'm getting into. That's called fear. Jesus said, if you confess me before people, I'll confess you before my Father. But if you're ashamed of me before people, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father. We may all be believers in here, but I think there's a number of people you haven't yet met Jesus. And right now is this incredible opportunity for you. Who's going to say yes Lord, I want to give my life to you. I'm, I want to come back to you. One person has indicated that. Just quickly, if you raise your hand right now. God bless you down the back here on the floor. Thank you. Anyone else? Just quickly raise your hand up. Raise it up high so I can see it. Right in the, uh, in the, in the churches that are watching online, if that's you, just quickly raise your hand. And, and one of the leaders there will spot us. Anyone else right now? 
Just quickly, raise your hand as I scan the room. Yeah, God bless you, ma'am. Thank you. Just up here on my right. Thank you. You can put your hand down. I'm waiting for at least two more because I know there's a battle going on in people's hearts today. And, you know, this is life and death, guys. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things pass away. He makes all things new. You may not have the power to live this Christian life. He will give it to you. As I scan the room, I'm just not going to prolong it. As I scan the room one last time, I'm looking up on the balcony. God bless you, young lady. I see your hand. Put it down. Anyone else? Just quickly, raise your hand right now. You say, I'm overcoming the fear. I'm shooting my hand in the air. I will not allow fear to stop me. Just quickly, raise your hand right now. Just raise it up. I'm waiting for one more person. I feel it in my spirit. There's one more at least. Yeah, God bless you right in front of me. Thank you. Let's stand, church. We're going to all pray this prayer together. And uh, if you're one of the five people that raised your hand, I want you to especially pray this prayer. We're going to pray it out loud. I'll lead you in it. And uh, then you, indi- you, know, you pray that with all your heart. And God, God knows your heart. If you do that, then you're going to receive a gift today of salvation and forgiveness. God's going to give you power to keep living for Him. All right, and if you're watching uh, streaming, then you can pray this prayer as well. Here we go. Let's close our eyes, helping us concentrate again. Lord Jesus, pray it after me. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me today for all my sins. I'm sorry, Lord, for all the wrong things that I've done. I ask you to forgive me now. Wash me from every sin. I believe you died on a cross for me. Thank you, Jesus. I believe you rose again from the dead. Today, I receive you into my life. I now open the door of my heart. And I say, Jesus, come and live in me. I now receive you. Give me power to live for you for the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. If you're one of those five that raised your hands, you give them a hand. If you're one of those five that raised your hand, then someone will come to you at the end of the service and just have a quick word and maybe give you something. And if they don't come, then please, would you make your way down the front at the end? We would love to meet you and pray with you. If you've been in one of the uh, the churches that this has been streamed to and you prayed that prayer, why don't you make sure you tell one of the leaders of the church, say, hey, that was me, I prayed the prayer, and they'll, they'll be able to help you with the next step. But uh, we're going to just pray for a few minutes before I hand back to Pastor Ed. I know that there are people here today that the Holy Spirit just needs to break some things off you and impart some things into you. There there were two other things that David has spoken about, those that are weary in the battle, those that have felt bullied. There was something else I, I felt that for some of you, and it includes those on the campuses as well, a sense of defeatism. And God wants to set you free from that and give you that overcoming victorious spirit. And also there are some of you facing what seems like hopeless situations. And God wants to impart grace and fresh strength to get through it and the hope to know that your king has another move. So we're going to pray into that now. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, you know your kids in this place. And Lord, you know everyone that's weary, everyone that's feeling beaten up, bullied by life, by the enemy. You're feeling those that, Lord, you know the ones that you just kind of almost given up, like is a spirit of defeatism. Lord, we, right now, I take authority over that spirit of defeatism in the name of Jesus. The spirit of hopelessness and despair, we break it off you now. The spirit of death that has been stalking you to shut down the life of God in you, to kill off the promises, the dreams that God has for you. We break the power of that spirit of death that's been stalking you. We break it off you. We declare your destiny is alive in God. Your future is bright in God. God knows the plans He has for you, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So we take authority right now over weariness, over defeatism, over brokenness, over hopelessness. We command it to lift in the name of Jesus. And I feel God wants to impart to all of us great courage and boldness. So would you all just lift your hands to the Lord? Holy Spirit, we thank you that, that you are the Spirit of Jesus that you come and minister the presence of Jesus and you impart power to us. And in the name of Jesus, I release the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come, overshadow every person. Receive His supernatural boldness and courage. Let it fill your heart. Let it strengthen your heart in Jesus' name. Receive that overcoming spirit that fighting warrior spirit, that you will rise up. You will stand strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might, that you will know your King has one more move. Thank you, Jesus. Just keep your hands lifted to the Lord. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd impart an incredible gift of faith into people's hearts and lives, whatever they're facing. You know, the Bible says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. I pray, Holy Spirit, confidence and faith in your word and in your character. There are people here, you're going through such a difficult time, you've actually started to doubt that God is a good God. See, Satan will slander the character of God. Say, is God really good? Why is he letting you go through that? Why hasn't he answered your prayer? And I know my Bible tells me he's a good, good God. He's a good, good Father. And Lord, I pray that the power of that lie will be broken. I pray, Holy Spirit, there'll come a fresh revelation of the goodness of God, the grace of your goodness, your God that's so rich in mercy, the good, amazing thing you've done in saving us. Lord, I pray that everybody will know how good you are. And Lord, that you will fortify and strengthen them. You will grace them to endure until you bring them through. And Lord, I'm asking that your moves, King Jesus, I pray your moves will begin to break in upon everybody's lives. I pray the moves of God will begin to come in this church, in everyone's life, Lord. We pray for the King to move. We pray, Holy Spirit, that the King has these wonderful moves. Begin to orchestrate them. Let the angels of God be released from the throne of the King to begin to orchestrate breakthroughs and deliverance and, and victories, we pray in the name of Jesus.